and welcome back to Literally Literary. In this episode, we will continue our discussion on Ron Stallworth's memoir, Black Klansman. My name is Vanessa, and this is Literally Literary, which is brought to you by the Mellon Foundation through the Humanities Collaborative at EPCC and UTEP. Um, so anyway, uh, Vanessa, in the latter, in the second half of the book, right? So he gets deep into, um, you know, the deeper he gets, it seems, the more risk he's taking on, right, for himself and for Chuck. And uh, what, what else did you want to highlight about that kind of um, involvement in the KKK? Hmm. I found it interesting how um, they started to talk about the how all of the other law enforcement agencies, I guess, started mm. to get involved and started to help him as well to what, try to get... What page was that on? Um, well, more specifically, like 103, where he goes into... I guess he's talking to the FBI, mm. if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And so he goes to Denver and he's given all of this information on what they have on the KKK in all of Colorado. And so he's able to like get more information on like how it became what it was and how it grew again. Yeah. I mean, he does go um, himself do his own research, right. About um, the history of the KKK. You know, he talks about um, going back all the way to the 1920s. And um, I think that coordination also with the FBI, you know, there's always that idea of um, nowadays we call it like saying your lane. Uh, and I think there's some of that with, you know, cops and the Federal Bureau um, about, well, you know, like you're kind of sipping on our toes here, right? But it's good that like they did have this kind of like common goal, right? That we we kind of should expect, right, as, as taxpayers and um, knowing that it does require all hands on deck for this kind of thing so that, you know, um, especially for an undercover mission, Right. If they're going to have their own undercover mission, right, knowing that um, that, of course, could cause problems and jeopardize uh, what Ron is doing. Mm -hmm. And I also found really interesting how even his own department wasn't really on his side at times, Mm -hmm. more specifically on page 134. When David Duke finally does come to Colorado Springs. And his, I guess, what is it? His boss? Uh, yes, the, the police chief. The police chief, yes. 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 <laughs> he tells Ron that he is going to be the bodyguard for David Duke, which doesn't make a lot of sense to begin with because he is black and it's for the KKK. So right off the bat, it's just like, why would you choose this? And then secondly, you know that Ron is doing this undercover investigation. So like... Why would you, like, it kind of seemed to me like they were trying to throw the whole investigation almost. Yeah, I mean, I myself also, you know, was um, quite frustrated at the, chi- at the the chief, to say the least, at his 
this irresponsible decision mm-hmm. that, as you mentioned, right, makes no sense. Um, and that does clearly seem like um, on the chief's part, another way of undermining what he himself is doing, right? Because he, as you said, right, he does face a lot of resistance within the own um, uh, police community. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Ron is kind of like between a rock and a hard place, right? Because he did, as I mentioned, he talked earlier about how when he tries to infiltrate the the Black Power movement, uh, the, you know, the uh, Stokely, um, he, he himself, right, is on edge because of, of the fact that he's a cop. But now it's the fact that he's black, right? And the trouble, of course, that comes with that, not just with the KKK, but, you know, there is that... Um, it reminds me here, Vanessa, of remember when like he was being interviewed and, um, you know, there's that whole litmus test, right, of, of like, well, you know, do you believe in like the mission of, of what our police department stands for, those kinds of things where I kind of saw it as like, you know... I don't know, like just an undressing of like what it means to be black, right? A symbolic undressing of what it means to be black because it means that like... You know, it kind of reminds me like of um, La Malinche, uh, you know, I connected to La Malinche because La Malinche is the translator to Hernando Cortes, who sold out the Aztec, uh, the indigenous Aztec community by translating, right? And so this, again, the power of language and being able to control a populace. Um, but yeah, he himself says, right, like he understood my concerns, but felt the threats were serious enough to warrant this special request. Mm-hmm. Plus, there was no no one else available at the time, right? I mean, the incredulity about that, he himself, I think, realizes. Um, but there is a kind of, um, it presents him with an opportunity that... I think he himself now relishes, right? And, you know, hopefully we can ask him about it. So what ends up happening, because he becomes part of his David Duke's entourage, of course, there's the humiliation, right, of he himself being black, having to protect someone who wants to, who would, you know, otherwise want him to be, want him killed, want him lynched. Um, but... What ends up happening here, Vanessa, because of that, that is this kind of interesting shift in power. Oh, yes. This is one of my favorite parts in the whole book. <laughs> so he, while he's um, being David Duke's bodyguard, he asks him if he can take a photo with him. Because, like, he says, no one's going to believe that I was able, like, that I was here to be your bodyguard. And so David Duke agrees to do that with him. But... Ron puts his arms around them and he's like, nah, don't touch me. Uh-huh. And so he's like, you're right. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like, let's try again. And he sneakily talks to Chuck, who is the one taking the picture and tells him, okay, I'm going to count to three and you're going to take the picture on three. And so he goes back, he stands there, puts his arms behind, like on his sides, not touching anybody, counts to three. And on three, he puts his arms around them again. <laughs> and... Um, David gets really upset and tries to take the picture and like destroy it because like that's gonna ruin his image. Can't be seen, yeah. Yeah, and but um, Ron is able to get to the camera and the picture before him, and then says, "If you touch me, I will arrest you for assaulting a police officer. Like, don't try me." Mm-hmm. 
And so that's where the power kind of shifts. Like Ron is now able to have that upper hand against like one of the top members of the KKK. Mm-hmm. So that's, I found that really interesting. Yeah. And, and, and not under cover, of course. Right. So like, it's not like he's blowing his cover of, in doing so. Mm-hmm. Right. He is still, you know, acting within exactly what the chief wanted. Right. Which is like to be his personal protector, mm-hmm. which itself, I mean, that in itself, I, I find troubling. I mean, I, I understand like, well, you know, you want public safety, it's a public figure, etc. But it kind of reminds me of like um, today, today with the alt-right movement, how it seems that the police officers, especially what happens in Charlottesville, that they were protecting, you know, the the neo-Nazis, while people like, you know, Dr. Cornell West and others who have organized in, in, in defense of the Black Lives Matters movement have been under threat, you know, while the, the cops seem to kind of, you know, um, turn a blind eye to the need for their own protection. Um, so it reminded me of that, too. The other thing, Vanessa, that I, I find interesting about it, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this, the power of a photograph. Do you remember what I said earlier about David Duke's kind of uh, public image? Why do you think that becomes so powerful here and why it irates him so much to have a photograph, to have a photo exist of him with a black police officer? I think he accepted to like even take the photo because he's trying to show and it goes back to like towards the beginning of the book where he mentions that he's not against black people per se. He's mm-hmm. more for the separate the separation of the two groups and you go like live separately from me and I'll live over here mm-hmm. not mix like let's be separate like and so I kind of wrote, I, I'll go back, but in my notes, I wrote separate, but equal, but also not equal. Cause he's kind of like trying to push them down, but at the same time, just stay separate from them. Mm-hmm. So I found that that was really interesting. Yeah. And, 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 and in terms of that public image, you know, it, it's, it's, um, it kind of reminds me today of like, um, famous people being photographed with like KKK members, like, or like with someone who, or something that is considered racist, right? Like there's that famous photo of uh, Senator Mitch McConnell, um, holding up like a Confederate flag and, you know, which now of, of course we should all recognize a, as a racist symbol. Uh, and, um, when people say, you know, it's about states' rights or, or white pride or, or sovereign pride, I mean, I mean, it's really just another cover, f- another obfusc- obfuscation of what this kind of, um, covert racism becomes like, uh, although now, like I said, it's, it's a bit more overt, um, and so I just want, one of my favorite passages, dear Vanessa, is on 141. And I just wanted to read it because it's one of those passages where the power of Ron's words really strike a chord. Uh, so this is actually one of my other strong lines. The, um, so he's reflecting on all this. He's reflecting on like his time in El Paso at Austin High School in 1968 when he heard that Dr. King had been killed in Memphis, right? So he has this kind of moment where he reflects on his life you know and having that photograph that unfortunately he lost but nevertheless and uh, he says at the bottom these were the thoughts that ran through my mind in that encounter with david duke i felt a sense of connection to those many strange and bitter fruits right quoting 
uh, of course, um, uh, that um, that uh, singer uh, Billie Holiday, uh, lynch bodies hanging from the trees over the decades because of the ungodlike atrocities per- perpetrated on them, and to all of the forgotten others terrorized by the over- overbearing control and dominance of the clan, and the likes of the David Dukes of generations past, and I would add uh, present. Um, so it's it's to me as as I think maybe with you Vanessa it, it, it's such a powerful moment and so simple nowadays mm-hmm. right I mean taking photographs with people who are famous it's just like we kind of consider that you know um, well it's a special moment of course right but in this case because the, David Duke is famous for his racism um, and that and, you know, of course, Ron didn't want to be put in the position anyway, right? He found the best, like the a genius way to like take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It, it, it's it's like Brennan, right? When you kind of <laughs> think about what he just pulled off without blowing his identity. Yeah. Uh, so there is that. Um, was there another passage later on, Vanessa, that uh, also struck you as uh, important? Yes. So on page 164, it's one of the, like, the last pages of the book, um, and he mentions like that he's often asked, like, what did you accomplish over the course of this investigation without arresting any clan members or seizing any illegal contraband? And so he kind of, his answer is, as a result of our contraband effort, of our combined effort, sorry, No parent of a black or other minority child, or any child for that matter, had to explain why an 18-foot cross was seen burning at this or that location. So, like, he he feels like he was able to help his community, even though he didn't really arrest anybody and no one was, like... But he sees that no one was hurt and that no one had to explain why these people were being so hateful towards different groups of people. And so I felt like that was really interesting that he doesn't feel like it wasn't like his operation wasn't successful. He says, success often lies not in what happens, but in what you prevent from happening. And so I felt like that was a really strong line in the book. Yes, Vanessa. And I, I, I underlined that as my strong line as well. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like like I had mentioned, I think, you know, those listeners who want to learn more about the way the police uh, conducts investigations and how they view success and failure. I, I think Ron is very insightful about making this. Uh, I consider this very like as much as it is about his life and growing up in 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 the force. Uh, it's very procedural, right? He doesn't gloss over those little details that us to us readers who have never you know, served as police officers um, might not really understand or have like a different conception of. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, it's also a little funny here because um, Officer Ed, I don't know if you remember him, but mm-hmm. he's kind of seen as this kind of um, like he's like that group, like in a group project in school, you know, the student who <laughs> takes all the credit <laughs> or doesn't do anything but yeah. takes all the credit. Right. I mean, and I think maybe we've all have had that kind of experience of working with someone like that. And so Officer Ed is the equivalent of, of that 
And, um, you know, he himself says, Officer Ed's attempt to join the clan was nothing more than a self-ingratiating effort on his part to try to impress me and Sergeant Trapp and secure for himself a transfer from vice into the intelligence unit. So I think it's also like all those power games, you know, within... within hierarchical organizations um, that people, you know, un- end up undermining their, their own department, right? Just because of their own greed and thus for power. And so he kind of, um, if we fast for a little bit, right? I mean, there is that, he does see that as successful, right? And mm-hmm. you, you very well summarize like what he views as, why he views it as successful, uh, towards the end, you know, eventually there's this kind of, um, besides losing that Polaroid, uh, even though Tra- Sergeant Trapp at the end is supportive of continuing the organ- the, the investigation, uh, which would have been interesting in and of itself of like, you know, how the KKK continues to grow, etc., um, the chief is not supportive. And so he orders everything to be destroyed and any evidence, you know, itself to be this, uh, you know, that there's that kind of uh, disavowing of the fact that this operation ever existed, right? And which he mentions is a big reason why he decided to memorialize this for, for readers and for the general public. Uh, Vanessa, did you have any any thoughts on that, or something in towards the latter end of the of the book that struck you? Well, I just wanted to mention that I found it very inspiring that Ron didn't originally want to be a police officer or an undercover mm. investigator. He wanted to be a high school gym teacher. Mm. And so I found that very interesting because he took a different path and he was able to create a lot of change from within the system. Mm-hmm. He didn't, like a lot of people feel like change can only be done in a certain way. And I think it hit hmm. really strongly in that, in the move in the film ver- adaptation, how Patrice, um, the girl that he's seeing mm-hmm. in the movie kind of is like, you can't create change from the inside. Mm-hmm. You like, that's not something that happens. Like, huh. the white man is not going to give up his power. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he was able to create change. And he did it kind of under the radar. Like, not a lot of people knew. Like, But he created change. And he stopped a lot of things from happening that could have gone extremely terribly. Like, he put his life at risk at times. He put other people's lives at risk. But he created change. And he mm-hmm. stopped a movement from happening. Yeah, in that sense, you know, at the beginning of the book, uh, it kind of relates to his comparison to Jackie Robinson, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Who who was a monumental figure in that sense of, you know, the way he went about to change was to just take his role, you know, put on the uniform, play good baseball, and and kind of not fight back, but just do his thing, you know. Yeah. And and through that, he's recognized throughout history. Yes. For that change, from yeah. within. Yeah. Um, that, 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 that's a very good point, Vanessa, about how he, um, the, the courage, right, that is required to take on this kind of mission, the not just within his own department, right, but of course from without, mm-hmm. you know, and um, um, it, it, it really does show that like, you know, sometimes it just takes one person, right? I mean, of course, like it was a, a a wide operation, right? But it's just started with 
an advertisement he saw in the paper, right? And he just, and kind of a spur of the moment, right? He decided to answer like he, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's kind of funny, right? Because he, he doesn't really, he, he says how he didn't really think it through, right? right. Oh, wait you know, on black, right, kind of thing. Signed his real name instead of his undercover Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But, um, you know, at at the end of the book, uh, he, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Ron himself does talk about Donald Trump and the afterword and how he does make a clear connection between the rhetoric of David Duke and company on page uh, 186 and uh, David Duke's, I mean, uh, and, and uh, Donald Trump's own campaign of, you know, building that, quote unquote, what he says here, the Great Wall. Um, and what I also found interesting that hopefully we can talk to him more about uh, live in person, face to face, is um, his views on Antifa that he briefly mm. mentions here and t- just kind of touches uh, the rim of it. Uh, but I do want to kind of... Um, I mean, perhaps to use a police of, to co-opt a police officer word, interrogate him a little bit more about his views about that. And my strong line from that afterward is on 188. Our history is always in our present, which I find, you know, a, a great way to kind of bring this um, book to a close in terms of, uh, you know, there's, of course, that idea that, history repeats itself. It's something that I tell my own students when I talk to them about, uh, you know, the rhetoric of, of Adolf Hitler and how he used that rhetoric ultimately to bring about the Holocaust, you know, that it all begins with language. And, you know, in the beginning was the word, right, going back to Elizabeth's own uh, work. Uh, Vanessa, did you have any other, other final thoughts about the book or what what's coming not really i had a really i really enjoyed reading it though and i'm so 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 excited to meet him and actually speak to him about the book and like everything that went on in it and how he feels about the film adaptation just all of it i'm just so excited yeah i remember um you know talking to my colleague uh, brian kirby uh, Ron himself was present at the rally that was uh, the El Paso Strong rally uh, that was held at Washington Park right next to the zoo. Uh, I don't know if you all heard. Uh, it, it, it was um, it was one of those, you know, big rallies where we had, you know, politicians, but also music. So it was very much celebratory, expressing solidarity with each oh, other. But yeah. he himself, you know, was present there. And, um, you know, so he so he still kind of remains involved, right, with that activist community now yeah. as a retired police officer. He was also present. Uh, there was another event, uh, El Paso Firme, mm. that the Border Network for Human Rights put together. It was almost as a kind of response to maybe even El Paso Strong feeling a little co-opted mm. and kind of bringing in just more. And, and so he, you know, he really does not hold back his punches against Trump. Yeah. You know, he... Um, he does call Trump the de facto leader of the white supremacist movement right now. Yeah. Um, you know, because he allows them to say the things that they're saying and do the things they're doing, like in Charlottesville, without condemning them. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as that's as long as that's happening, that's so I think that's that voice is important, Stallworth right now. Yeah. What he's been doing. So be cool to hear his his thoughts first, you know, so next time you guys next episode. Yes. Get to hear him. Yes. <laughs> Well, thank you all for listening. Um, So we will continue our conversation live next time. Um, And uh, pick up a book.
Bye. Bye. <laughs>